either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, we've put the New Year's Eve party hats away. The decorations are all taken down, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and we're on to a brand new year. Brand new year of movies. Welcome to the first podcast of 2023, the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start where else? You've seen the trailer. You're ready for it. A robotics engineer at a toy company builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. Megan. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! Megan! You should probably run. Megan, she pushed Brandon onto the road. I won't let anything harm you. Megan, turn off. Recalibrating response model. What's wrong with you? Don't worry, Katie. I won't let anything harm you. Ever again. And Megan is spelled with a three instead of an E. That was good for me when I was trying to look it up. I'm like, where is it? <laughs> M3GAN. And that is because it's the third generation, I think, prototype robot doll. And uh, it's crazy uh, <laughs> as uh, we get this story of a young girl who has tragically lost her parents in a car accident. And uh, she's her guardianship is taken over by her aunt. Uh, Gemma, played by Allison Williams. Rose. Rose, yeah, of course, from Get Out. And she works with this firm designing this high-tech toy, and she decides that a good way to test it out is to make it the new friend of this little girl who's very lonely, just lost her parents, and could use a good friend. So, So that's how it starts, all innocent, I guess. And then it shows great promise, and Gemma's bosses and team, everything, just see dollar signs in their eyes. But, of course, Megan gets more and more self-aware, even though they've put in all these, uh, maybe some fail-safes that uh, that fail. <laughs> <laughs> and she starts wreaking havoc. And, of course, it's a cautionary tale about our reliance on tech and raising our children through tech. But it's a lot more than that. And I think the both of us, it, it works the best because it has a great streak of dark humor through it. It was directed by Gerard Johnstone, who we loved uh, several years ago. Boy, I think all the way back maybe in 2014, he wrote and directed a movie called... Housebound. Housebound. Thank you. It's a uh, it's a so New Zealand fun. movie. It's everybody would love it. And I can't Even believe if you don't like scary movies. Yes. You will like Housebound. And I can't it's believe fun, it seems it's funny. He hasn't done anything since. Yeah, it's what nutty. the heck? Yeah, but he did not write this. He did direct it though, and and I think that um, I think that speaks to a, a lot of the reason why. There are just these little things that don't have to play as funny, but they do very darkly funny. Yeah, actually, James Wan gets a story credit, Mm -hmm. but the screenplay was written by the same person that wrote Malignant, uh, Akila Cooper. And, of course, a lot of people loved Malignant. We did not. No. But I think we were in the minority there. But the way that Malignant went batshit crazy at the end... Which we did like. Which we did like, yeah. No, we did. This one, it doesn't go 
full batshit crazy, and I think it's weird. It's sort of an ironic twist. We kind of wish this one would have. Just push the envelope even more. Right. I mean, because our, our issue with Malignant wasn't that it was nuts. That's what we liked. It's that it was just too long, so you were bored stiff for an hour and a half the, before the they first, got to the, the nutty The first part. two acts yeah. were so bad, yeah. but by the time it got to that batshit, yeah. that might have been fun. I was just so out of it. Now, this one is tight, Yeah, you know, uh, um, and it's it, the performances are good. The writing is decent. Uh, but I, and it's funny and it is, and it's, it's surprising. I mean, if you like the trailer, you know what you're going to get and it's fun, but I think both of us would have liked to, well, probably an R rated version. I hate to be that person. I know that that's what everybody was complaining (laughs) before it came out, but I do think that it would have benefited for, from more of the malignant nuttiness. And don't get us wrong. It's not funny in a way that it's so bad. It's funny. They're they're trying to be funny. Yeah, but not, Exactly a horror comedy. Either. No, it's darkly funny, darkly and that's the best funny. part of it. Now, you talked about the performances. Let's give some credit. Well, first of all, uh, the young girl Katie is played by Violet McGraw. You, you would know her, even though she's very young. She's been around in a few things. Yeah, I might remember her as the first victim of Rose the Hat in um, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, and then the voice of Megan, who I think is great. She's Jenna Davis, and we've said before you can't just do a voice acting gig and just. Oh, I've got a nice voice. I'll I'll get through it. No, no, no shit. No. And this girl does a fantastic job. She really, job. really does. And but also, so does the the little girl who who obviously it's not the same face, but the body because yeah. I mean, you saw it. The running on yeah, all and fours the and the weird yeah. dancing. I mean, she does a great job. She delivers something creepy and weird. Yeah, that's Amy Donald is the the physical body of Megan. Of course, the the face is covered up with this robot looking face. But yeah, the look and the sound all very very good. And that contributes to it because mm-hmm. it's the lines that she delivers but then again back to the voice jenna davis how she delivers yeah. them and some of the things that she does there's a great bit where because the the robot doll is very very smart and gets smarter every day it seems and she of course knows how to play play the piano very very beautifully and the song that she sits down to play is just perfect i laughed out loud oh yeah and it's one of the, i laughed out loud a few times and i and i think if you go into it with that mindset it is pg-13 yes there's going to be some bodies mm-hmm. um there's going to be some you know pg-13 horror elements but if you go in for the fun yeah i think people will have a good time with it and i think we both i'm very interested in how it does i think we both expect it to do well yeah i do i expect it to do well i want to say and as much as i did enjoy it and and i do i think i would have enjoyed it more if it was a uh, you know went a little more you know nuts I, I was bothered by the mom shaming and it's it's uh it's it's something that happens a lot in horror movies actually it's something that happens a lot in all kinds of movies but horror movies really tend to want to convince somebody who doesn't want to be a mom that really they do. And I hate that. Um, and it, it took me out of this a number of times. I thought, oh, come on. But Yeah, because it's interesting. In the beginning, after the parents are gone in this, this car crash, Je- Gemma, who does it, who's very clear about not wanting to be a parent, not ready to be a parent, there is another option. Yeah, the 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 dead father's parents want to take in the little girl, and for some reason that's never made clear, the aunt like balks at that idea. And I thought, but but why? You don't want her here, and you're a very bad parent, and that's fine. Yeah, just that, do the best thing for both of you and let her go stay with this loving older <laughs> couple. I don't understand. That does seem curious, but of course we have to go with that because that gives a chance, like you said, her to to learn some lessons. Yeah. And it is, I I do see your point. Um, about how maybe she shouldn't be so focused on her career, right? Uh, because that's what she's caught up in. And, yeah. And that's totally fine, but yet, oh, no, you, you should really learn a good lesson about being a good mom. Yeah, yeah, I hate that. 
<laughs> but there's some there's some fun to be had here, and there's some great visual. There's a there's a shot of Megan being put sort of out with a group of toys. <laughs> Put them on the toy shelf. Yeah. She's sitting there with a bunch of stuffed animals. That is is very, very cool. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really fun. It is. And uh, do we wish that it could have gone maybe a little bit more in the in the malignant vein? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that might have been even more fun. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think people, especially if you... If you get a certain vibe from the trailer, because the trailer really seemed to hit a lot of people. Yes. Uh, in the in the in the scares, I guess, for people that are scared of dolls, but also in the laughing about it. Mm-hmm. Look at this stuff. Um, if you go in with that sort of vibe, I think people will will dig it. And uh, the entire way it's it's constructed. I mean, Megan, I think as a doll looks good. There's something about her face and something about the way she's dressed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we talked about how she moves. It's it's just really, they really nailed that part of it. And also, I think the, the arc of the doll is, you know, at the in the end, she she has some surprising conversations. Yeah. And it, it takes a weird turn that I very much yeah. appreciated. She becomes a fascinating character. Yeah. Megan does. Yeah, and it just, I like the way it builds because it just starts with little Little contradictions to something that the Gemma is saying to to Katie, the mm-hmm. child. A little bit of, of parenting, and it'll be it'll be contradicted by something that uh, Megan says, and Gemma's like, "Oh, is is that right?" And then tries to turn her off, and then that doesn't oh, yeah. work. And yeah, we've seen these types of stories before for for decades. About oh, as sure. Technology has grown. Of course. And I this... mean, if, if you've seen Terminator, then you know where this <laughs> you know all started. Uh, yeah, there's been a ton, and this is a really fun way to approach it. I think so. So yeah, we we recommend it, and um, you know, if you if you go into it with just just knowing that's the kind of vibe, it's not going to be a straight up horror slasher movie. No. Just just no. embrace the fun. Yeah. That, uh, and I think it'll work for you. And that is Megan in theaters now. Well, if you like westerns, there's a new one out in theaters this week. It's an old gunslinger and his daughter facing the consequences of his past when the son of a man he murdered years ago arrives to take his revenge. Nicholas Cage going west in the old way. Tell me the names of the men who did this. As long as that little girl is alive, there's no room for vengeance. You're protecting a killer from another killer. Can you teach me how to shoot? If Briggs decides he's coming, Colton Briggs is coming. He's here! Sound like he's the one who's scared. <laughs> My whole life I'd seen fear in the eyes of every man I ever met. Wait, don't kill me. You boys woke up the devil. I think before we uh, before we get into this movie, has everybody seen the Renfield trailer? Oh, that's another trailer that's getting people uh, excited. It yeah. looks so great. It does. It looks great. It looks better than this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, the draw here is Nick Cage in a Western. Has he done one? I couldn't think. Sort of. Prisoners of the Ghostland was essentially, okay. but it was okay. also a musical and a sci-fi <laughs> film. That's right. This is a straight-up Western, which is always welcome. A good Western is great. Love a good Western. But it's most of them fall back on some pretty familiar tropes. And boy, this one certainly does. And that's really all it is. Uh, because Nick Cage is that, uh, that gunman, Colton Briggs, the meanest, low-down, dirty gunman the West ever did see. Uh, but then, of course, he is tamed by what? Was it the love of a good the woman? The love of a good woman. What? That's right. There's an opening where he has this Wilford Brimley mustache 
and there's a shootout, and lots of people are dead, including one young boy eyewitness. And then we jump ahead 20 years, and he's been tamed by the love of a good woman. Um, and they run a store, the Briggs Mercantile, and they have a young daughter who seems very smart and curious. And then one day they find a way for Colton to be the one to walk uh, the daughter to school. And wouldn't you know, that is the time that uh, some gunslingers from his past come to pay a visit on Mrs. Briggs. And then that gives uh, Nick Colton a reason to get out the guns and go take the revenge and teach end up teaching his daughter the way of the gun. And that's where I think this movie tries to make its hay. With the, it is the only part of that synopsis that doesn't sound like 300 other movies. That's exactly right. And and the girl, the actress that plays the daughter is good. Ryan Kiera Armstrong. She was just in the, I know it was an ill-fated remake, but she was the uh, star of the new Firestarter. Mm-hmm. And she was also been in American Horror Story. She's good. She's got some talent here. Uh, and Nick Cage, you know, don't expect the unhinged Nick Cage. You don't get it at all. This character is very much a, a restrained intensity. Um, that, that's really all it is. But everything is just by the numbers for the uh, for the Western genre, and especially the dialogue is very. It's it's so explanatory. It's so telly. You know, we we know that uh, the the wife was a good woman because of the number of times they say your mom was a good woman, uh, and we know that he was a low down dirty gunman for the amount of times they say he was a low down dirty gunman. <laughs> it's more talky and not showy, yeah. and so you just don't really care. No. You don't form connections with these characters. Um, but there is, you know, Nick Cage. Of course, is he's fine as a uh, as this gunman. You've also got, uh, in addition to the young girl Ryan Armstrong, a uh, Nick Searcy as the marshal. I thought was good. But uh, even, you know, it's leading up to this showdown. Everybody knows there's going to be a showdown between the two uh, in the middle of a dusty street. And even it's nothing to, to write home about. So if you just love Westerns and everything that goes along with them and want to see Nick Cage in one, here you go. Other than that, it's, it's nothing that, that blazes any sort of trail at all. And that is the old way in theaters now as we wait for Nick Cage in Renfield. <laughs> Boy, got a good one next that's out in theaters. A uh, dramatic historical biography, a fictional account of one year in the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria. On Christmas Eve, 1877, Elizabeth, once idolized for her beauty, turns 40 and is officially deemed an old woman. And she starts trying to maintain her public image. This is Corsage. In A lion doesn't lose sleep over the opinion of sheep. We've seen a number of films like this in the last few years where, you know, a filmmaker sort of reimagines a short time span in the life of of sort of an iconic woman through history. Right. Uh, Jackie. Jackie did it. Uh, Spencer Spencer did Mm -hmm. it. And And both Blonde also did it. Yeah. And the first two were were good and worth seeing, led by tremendous performances. Yes. Uh, Blonde is terrible, although... Anna de Armas is, was, is good in it, com- yeah. committed. This one here is another good one led by a very terrific lead performance. Vicky Kreps, who, you know what? Uh, we were on the TV gig this morning, and um, one of the anchors wasn't sure who she was. And I can see that, yeah. even though I've seen about 18 movies with her. But it's because they are mainly foreign language films, and they're mainly independent Indies, yep. films. Yep. And if you don't know her, but hopefully you saw The Phantom Thread, she's the, she's the female lead in The Phantom Thread. She's the Thread. model, yeah. And she's magnificent. She's magnificent in this movie. Um, She's fiery. She's funny. She's interesting. She's very flawed. I loved that about this character. As much as I liked Spencer and also Jackie, I did. I think I thought those were beautiful films. They both of them 
um, sort of objectified the suffering of a beautiful, tragic heroine. And that was what she was. It was like she was almost too tragic to survive, too beautiful for this world. And, of that course, sort of Blonde did, the, did that and drove off a cliff with it. Yes. This movie, I think, not surprisingly, written and directed by a woman, rather gives their heroine some spunk, a bit yeah. of life, and also complexity. She's quite a narcissist, actually. She's a bit vain. And she, you know, she finds a way to throw off some of the oppression that she lives under by actually just setting it on top of other women. It's fascinating and very complex, often quite funny, and the kind of, of reimagining that I personally was much more interested in seeing. Yeah. Uh, Marie Kretzer is the writer-director. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different angle and just another one of those examples where you get a, a male point of view, a male filmmaker's point of view, and then the totally different point of view in, in a woman's life when, a, when it's reimagined by a woman. Right. Uh, night and day. Even mm-hmm. though we did say both of us liked uh, Jackie and Spencer, this is a totally different game. Because she was, she's the subject, right? She's the one who takes action. As opposed not to the object. others, right, yeah. she's not. She's right. the one we're watching suffer, and we're sorry for that. We're sad for her. But in this one... Yeah, she takes action. And also, you know, one of the other things I really love is that she's not entirely likable. Well, and that, and that makes her more human. Yeah. A, a real person. Yeah, and not just a mythical figure. Yeah, But she's also quite funny. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. And uh, especially if you like these these historical dramas, of course, the, the set pieces and the, the ornate uh, surroundings and oh, all the, yeah. all the it clothes. Is, yeah, luxurious yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the opulence. Yeah, it's a gorgeous movie. Yeah, and, and we'll see. She probably won't be, Vicki Kreps probably won't be, uh, in the Oscar nominations, although I've I've seen her in the conversation. Exactly. Um, not that she's not worth it, but it would surprise me. But we'll see. Out in theaters now. Good one. Corsage. Let's turn to Netflix next. A world-weary detective is hired to investigate the murder of a West Point cadet. Stymied by the cadet's code of silence, he enlists one of their own to help unravel the case. A young man the world would come to know as Edgar Allan Poe. This is called The Pale Blue Eye. Captain! Up here! Down, down, down came the hot, threshing flurry. Darkest night, black with hell, charnelled fury, leaving only that deathly pale blue eye. This is an adaptation of a book by Louis Bayard, and it's written and directed by Scott Cooper, who you probably know, may know from um, Crazy Heart Mm -hmm. that won um, Jeff Bridges, an an Academy Award a few years ago. And uh, yeah, he directs, adapts this and directs this, and it's a... it's a fascinating. Well, one of the biggest things that surprised me, I think both of us, was the cast. Oh, as this goes on, you just keep seeing these people pop. Like, what? Yeah, Robert Duvall's in this, and Gillian, Gillian Anderson, Anderson. Yeah. Toby Jones is oh, in yeah. this, and um, Timothy Spall. Oh, yeah, just goes on and on and on. And the lead is Christian Bale, so you can't go wrong there. Right. Uh, and then he, when he gets into uh, West Point, and he's basically summoned. summoned. He's summoned because he's a, a well-known detective, and he's summoned. When a West Point cadet hangs himself, well, apparently hangs himself, mm-hmm. and it's not just the fact that he's dead, it's just the fact that also his body was mutilated, his heart was cut out, the dead man's heart was cut out. So, Christian Bale is summoned to investigate this, and uh, yeah, he 
enlists some help from the very smart young Edgar Allan Poe, who's played by Henry Melling, mm-hmm. who you may remember as Dudley Dursley from the Harry Potter series. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about this? With the hair, he looks he like Edgar look like Allan Poe. He does look like he, Except for the mustache, but right. he's, he's a younger he's man. He's young. He does. He does. He does look like Edgar Allan Poe. He does a good job of being sort of the, you know, the pre-druggy. You know, like he's still a bit rambunctious. He's still a <laughs> yeah. bit, you know... Out and proud with his poetry and everything, and he's—it's an interesting—it's an interesting, especially in, a contrast to the very dour and subdued, more of a blunt instrument that Christian Bale plays as the inspector who's been called in. And of course, as you said, Christian Bale—he's never not yeah. been glorious. And they have a nice contrast because they do. because one, the young man, of course, has his life ahead of him and all his ambitions and all his his uh, you know maybe rose-colored glasses about things. And of course, Christian Bale has been beaten down by mm-hmm. life. He's suffered a major tragedy and he comes at this from a different perspective and so but when they learn to work together and Christian Bale notices how intelligent this young man is it's it's an interesting pairing right and but you I think really the calling card of this film is that sort of like when you watch the movie the Fablemans and Steven Spielberg yeah. is basically shining a light on all the little things that happened in his life that he has channeled into all of his films. Right. That's what this movie does. It's almost it's almost a it's almost an Edgar Allan Poe origin story. Yeah. It's like you see where he develops little ticks and you see all of these now this is not one of his stories. That's not what this movie is. It is uh it's a completely separate murder mystery, but that it shows you fictionalized account of how he picked up certain tendencies that you yeah. see play out in his writing. Well, right away, as soon as you find out that the heart has been removed from this body, you start sure. thinking the telltale heart yep. right away. Yep. And then you see a rave over here. So, yeah. yeah, there are definite homages. And he talks about poems that he's written yeah. and things like that. So it's another murder mystery. We've seen a bunch of those lately. A bunch of those uh, on the screen. You big, had an interesting theory small. about that, actually. Well, you know, you always, when you see such themes come up, you always start to wonder, what is it about ourselves right now that is that is uh, driving these? And I just thought maybe it is because over the last few years, um, we have been living in circumstances that have such an uncertain res- uh, resolution that we want to see something very complicated get resolved yeah. in a way that we can put our head around. I love that theory. Um, you know, it's... Who knows? But I mean, I'm just trying to think because we've seen a bunch of them. Yeah. And this is just the latest. And some of them have been very lighthearted. This one is not. No. And and as it goes along, you can pick out certain things. You can maybe guess where some of it's going. But then at the end, there's a twist that you probably don't see coming. And that's where we had a little bit of problem with. Yeah, because, you know, the the, the fun in watching in investing in a murder mystery is that you, you're trying to puzzle things sure. out as you yeah. watch it. Yeah. So when at the end they just have to say, none of that matters, here's what really happened, and it's all stuff you weren't privy to. There weren't clues that were littered about. They're just explaining something different to you. That takes all of the joy out of the film that you just watched. Now, to be to be fair, Knives Out does some of that, too, and Glass Onion does some of that, too, when it goes back to says, oh, at the same time, we didn't know this was going on. But I see what you mean. This was a little more of that, a little more explanation necessary to make this twist go over. And you know who never did that? Edgar Scooby- Allan Poe. Scooby-Doo? <laughs>
<laughs> Correct. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, yeah. But I'll tell you, it is if you like these sort of mysteries and like a good cast, because like we said, oh, the, the cast, cast is, crazy. is fantastic. Yeah. And Simon Burney, who you probably don't know his name, but you know his face. He's one of those that guys. Uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah, it's just a great ensemble in sometimes small roles that you wonder, wow. Yeah. They signed up for this, but cast is fantastic, and it got that really gothic look about it. Yeah. So if you uh, if you're a Poe fan, and and again, this is not one of his. It's a real. It's a another reimagining sort of historical fiction thing. Although he did go to West Point, he did. Uh, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe did, but as far as we know, was not involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> but that is on Netflix now. So yeah, as we always say, if you have Netflix, you know, fired up, you like a mystery, and it is called The Pale Blue Eye. Got a horror thriller next on VOD. A seemingly naive and devout young woman finds her way in the underground world of truck stop sex workers, a.k.a. lot lizards. This is Candyland. Oh, you don't have to be scared. I couldn't hurt a fly. I am ready for you. to cleanse ourselves of this world. And then we will leave it. <laughs> and if you're looking it up, it's not one word. It's candy land. Yes. And it's, um, you know, it's an interesting film. It actually really is. And the, the poster for the film is deceptive because it gives you the sense that you're looking at sort of like a, a real exploitative sort of avenging angel right. kind of a thing. And that's not what this is. It's very gritty. It's got a it's got a really uh, effective kind of grimy 90s aesthetic to it. The cinematography is great for the particular type of film that it is. And the performances are, are really good. And it's a horror slasher kind of a thing set among prostitutes. So if you watch a lot of horror, you might feel like you know what you're going to be seeing. But the truth is, the film upends a lot of the tropes that you might be used to. Each of the, there, there are three women, four in the end, four women and one man who are the, the lot lizards. Mm-hmm. And there's a great, very natural camaraderie among them. You're not expected to feel sorry for them. They don't feel sorry for themselves. None of them is the hooker with the heart of gold. That you, <laughs> none of them. And like, none of those tropes. It just seems like, yeah, these are just people. At one point, you know, she goes, the one of them says, well, yeah, I, I've worked for $4.50 an hour, and this is better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. And, and it's the same thing with the Johns. You have some who are really horrible you have some it, everybody seems to be like a human mm-hmm. kind of a skanky human that lives on the outskirts but that's really it, it that is its strength there is know this going into it a really really difficult rape scene um and but even that is done in a way that is unexpected for this type of film uh, it fell short for me because there's no arc. There are no character arcs. Every character is at the beginning of the film the same as they are at the end of the film. Yeah. Or they're dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that means they're different. That's right. Um, you know, and so I felt like it was, but, you know, in like sort of a short time span, not exactly a day in the life, but just a, a weekend in the life or something, it, it, it's different and it's and it's interesting and I give it credit for a lot. I remember being a kid and seeing signs, you know, those, those circles with the X through them, like no, no lot lizards. And I, I didn't know what it meant. No. But I do now. 
<laughs> this is writer-director John Swab, and in the cast, William Baldwin is a recognizable face. So I, I want to—that's. I'm glad you brought that up because he's one of those actors who's in about 17 movies a year, all of them terrible, and he's always terrible in them, and he's cashing a check. <laughs> he's better in this than anything I've seen him in since uh, I don't know the Usual Suspects. Oh wow! I mean, he does. Yeah. You know, he really does. He showed up for this one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Candyland, two words. It is on VOD now. A documentary next on VOD. Back from war in Afghanistan, a young British soldier struggling with depression and PTSD finds a second chance in the Amazon rainforest when he meets an American scientist, and together they foster an orphaned baby ocelot. It's called Wildcat. Don't follow me. Now he knows where Harry lives. I'm worried that he can't live by himself. He caught his first rodent. He caught his first rodent. I love you. I'm good. I've seen the jungle change people. I feel like I've done something good. But it's hard to let go of something you love. It is now or never. Birthday boy Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. And, you know, I think what struck him, a lot of times when you watch a documentary and it's sort of set in the wild kingdom, what you expect is is something that is explaining to you the, the delicate nature of sort of the environment. And the balance, yeah. The balance. And that's really not what this is. It's more about personal fragility sure. and how these two... You can find it in human nature, obviously. You can also find it in the wild and how sort of symbiotic those those two things can be. And yeah. it's just a beautiful movie. Yeah, between the young man who's feeling very fragile in the world and then he finds purpose in helping, along with his scientist, to make sure that this baby ocelot can get by in their world and live on, on its own and be a hunter because they have to be a hunter and, of course, this man has just gotten back from being a hunter mm-hmm. uh, and, and suffering for it, suffering PTSD. So it's a it's a really interesting contrast. And if you watch the trailer, that's really all you need to know. I mean, if you are drawn in by this, I certainly was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can expect some feels all mm-hmm. the way around mm-hmm. uh, for this story uh, called Wildcat. And, yeah, you can check out Brandon Thomas's full review. Now, happy birthday, Brandon. At uh, MadWolf.com, and it is on VOD now. Recommended called Wildcat. Another one on VOD. This is a fantasy horror drama. Summoned to his soon-to-be-demolished childhood home, Mason discovers a video camera that can see into the past, driving him to record as many memories as possible before the doomed house is destroyed. It's called Landlocked. Are you okay with them tearing down the house? Yeah. I mean, it's falling apart anyway. Okay, here we go. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and it's an interesting film. It's a family affair. Writer-director Paul Owen films his son, Mason Owen, who goes back to a fictional hometown, home uh, home base, and stumbles across his now-deceased father's 
trove of VHS tapes of what he himself has filmed over the years. So the whole, so so then Mason starts watching it and everything, what is memory, what is real, what is reality, what is not reality, the whole thing blends together in a very interesting way. And as family films go, everybody exerts some real talent. It looks good. It sounds good. It's interesting. Yeah, because it, he's using his real family members yes. here. It's not like these were seasoned actors. No, no. And But the thing is that it doesn't, as clever as it is, especially for a found footage film, yeah. it just can't really um, close, close the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not enough to carry the entire picture, which makes it a little bit unfortunate because it had a really interesting setup, but the execution eventually kind of peters out. Interesting. Landlocked is on VOD now. Rachel Willis's full review. Check it out. It's at madwolf.com for Landlocked. And we'll go back to Netflix for a Brazilian drama. A lower middle class family undergoes a series of challenging and profound changes, reinventing themselves and their family ties along the way. It's called Mars One. Schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin reviewed this one for us. Got him out of the out of the uh, lobby to do some work. That's right. <laughs> and it's a lovely film. It's a lovely drama about f- the four members of a family who find themselves sort of affected, honestly, by a change in government leadership. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's a little bit of allegorical to the way that if you don't have a lot of money, the oppression can sort of affect each individual family member. Where it goes a little bit awry is that it doesn't really choose one of the four to be the main focus. It really evenly distributes attention among the four. So it's kind of hard to feel like it's a single vision. And of course, if you've been following what the the political upheaval in in Brazil, it's no surprise that a movie like this uh, has has come out of that. And the Mars One, the title comes into play because the one young boy, that's his dream. He wants to be an astronaut. Yeah, and his parents want him to pull them all up mm-hmm. out of poverty because he's a he's a talented athlete. Yeah, uh, it's called Mars One, and Daniel the Schlocketeer Baldwin's uh, review is up at MadWolf.com. It's available on Netflix now. And speaking of, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. All right, checking back into the lobby. Daniel Baldwin hanging out, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest studio news and rumblings. What's rumbling? Well, uh, Festival Save Slasher Film Sick, which was uh, written by Kevin Williamson, is premiering on Peacock a week from today on January 13th. So been looking forward to that one. Cool. And there's a sci-fi action flick called Jung E, which is the latest from uh, Train to Busan director Yan Sang-ho, and that's hitting Netflix on January 20th. Uh, Siddhartha Nan's espionage action thriller epic Pathan will hit theaters, including IMAX, beginning on January 25th. I'm a neophyte when it comes to Indian cinema, but I do know that Anand's earlier film, War, is considered to be one of their best action movies. So, you know, okay. this might not be one to miss. Right. And I'm sure you've seen RRR. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, <laughs> that's an experience you do not forget. Definitely not. <laughs> Black Panther Wakanda Forever is currently expected to stream on Disney Plus beginning February 1st. And Dark Star Pictures has a thriller called Daughter hitting VOD and limited theatrical release on February 10th. Um, There's a documentary dedicated to fans of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise titled Fred Heads, 
that will be coming to VOD on February 14th. And Hulu has a Boston Strangler movie starring uh, Kara Knightley and Carrie Coon that's premiering on March 17th. And then there's a German comedic thriller hitting VOD on March 21st about an architect who awakens to find himself locked inside a porta potty that is located on a construction site scheduled for demolition in, in an hour. <laughs> and that movie is appropriately called Holy Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Uh, there's an Austrian horror thriller called Family Dinner hitting VOD on March 28th. And finally, I've got one more horror franchise documentary. This one's about the Child's Play series, and it's titled Living with Chucky, and that'll premiere on Screenbox on April 4th. Okay. Lots of horror stuff. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. You can always catch the latest uh, news with Daniel. Find him at the Schlocketeer on the socials. Thank you again. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, looking ahead to next week. Got a full, a full slate. A full hand. We do indeed. As we finally, well, they keep promising. I know. Uh, they've said it now for a few weeks, but we think Women Talking, the Oscar, at least hopeful, uh, we think so, it's worthy, Women Talking coming next week. We know for sure a man called Otto is coming. And Skinamarink. Been looking forward to talking about this. Got to see this the other night and can't wait to talk about this horror film, Skinamarink, next week. A new one with LeBron James in it, House Party. Oh, is he... Yeah, he is in it. He is He's, in it. At least his hologram is in it. <laughs> yeah. But his production company, I think, is uh, producing that house party. Yeah. I love the title of this one. It's called Plane. St. <laughs> <Saint> Omer. <laughs> EO. I didn't see you there. Human Resources. Don't look at the demon. You know what? That's just good advice. It really is. I bet you they do look at it. <laughs> My Father, Muhammad Ali. Night of the Bastard. And Seven Faces of Jane. So that's a bunch for next week. But it is. we're not there yet. We're at this week. What do you think? Megan, come on. Did you have fun with it? You like Nick Cage as a as a, a gunslinger in the old way? Or what's uh, what are you watching? What are you thinking about? Talk about it. We love to always keep this conversation going on uh, Twitter. That's easy. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews, all of our staff, our Mad Wolf Packs, written reviews, and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you on the main website at madwolf.com. So see the movies. Hope you can uh, keep in touch. We'll talk about them, and then we'll talk about a fresh batch of them next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.